0: Welcome to Let's Talk Learning Disabilities with Lori Peterson and Abby Weinstein. Lori and Abby spend their days talking about dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia, and ADHD. They talk to parents of struggling students and adults who have had a lifetime of academic challenges. They want to share those stories along with their own insights with you. So, Let's Talk Learning Disabilities.
1: Betty, this is Lori, and welcome to Let's Talk Learning Disabilities. Today, Abby and I had the privilege of sitting down with Dr. Justin Shillette, an optometrist out of the Houston, Texas area, to talk to us a little bit more about visual processing and functional vision. We ended up having such a great conversation that we split this episode into two. So today you're going to get to hear the first part of our conversation with Dr. Shalette. Hope you enjoy. Betty, this is Lori. and this is Abby. Welcome to episode 76 of Let's Talk Learning Disabilities. 76.
2: 76. It's so episodes. funny.
1: We make sure that we count those out each week, right? Like we have to know what number we're on cuz it's a huge deal for us to be in the 70s. Wow. It is a
2: huge deal. We're very we're, <laughs> we're still very proud of ourselves and impressed that we've made it this And long. we've stuck with it. And I we've know. Stuck with but it. it's fun
1: and I yeah. feel like we've a lot of people benefit from it and right. so we're going to keep on plugging away.
2: And if you do listen listeners if you listen to every episode you know that um last time we were together on episode 75 Lori was on vacation. I was here alone. So welcome back to reality, Lori. Thank you. Wow. I
1: know it's been rough. I hope you had a
2: wonderful vacation. I did. It was
1: much needed. Yeah. We've had a lot going on and it was some good downtime, but I'm ready to get back to it.
2: Good. We're glad to have you back. I'm
1: excited about today. I left, I could talk, this, this is one of the topics
2: I feel like we can talk about for hours. All day long. Yeah. Right? Every day. So we have with us today a very special guest. I know we say that every time we have a guest, but they're all very special. But I feel like this one is exceptionally special today. We have Dr. Justin Challet from Texas Vision Therapy to talk to us about functional vision in children. And I want everyone's ears to perk up and open and listen very carefully and clearly because you would not believe how many people come to us thinking their child has a learning disability, such as dyslexia. Mm-hmm. And it actually turns out to be something related to a vision issue or a visual processing issue. So Dr. Chalette, thank you so much for being here today. Howdy,
3: thanks for having me. This is an awesome opportunity.
2: We are very happy to have you and we are eager to hear what all you have to say and for you to share your knowledge and expertise with us. So um, first, tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got to be where you are today or what kind of drove you to become an optometrist and specialize in the things you specialize in
3: yeah sure so uh for the audience out there my name is justin chalette i run a practice called texas vision therapy as they said i'm down here in houston texas so uh if you're in the area come check us out so what drove me in today well my car (laughs) but uh so as a, as a young kid, I was actually a cross-eyed kid. I had an eye that turned into my nose. And as a young kid, I never really knew much about it. I was always very much a studious, Game Boy driven. I could read anything in the library. I was very academic as a kid. And I was never sporty. You know, that just never really worked into my world. And then in college, I, uh, I had the chance to work for several optometrists in college on the weekends. And I said, man, this is a cool job. I can do this. So that kind of led me into this route. And while I was in college, I I worked at a a Costco optometry office. So I I saw a very different field from what I do now. Mm -hmm. And it was when I was in optometry school, I went to a school down in South Florida called Nova Southeastern University. It was there where we started learning about the science of vision, about how vision is not something that's in an eye. It's something that involves the brain, the eyes, the whole body, everything about the human being. And you start learning about how the brain is wired for people with strabismus, which is the name for cross-eyed. And you start learning about how people see differently. You know, you just kind of take for granted, oh, everybody has two eye, well, a lot of people have two eyeballs, some people have one eyeball. Mm -hmm. But you just kind of take for granted how not everybody actually sees the same, no two people see in the same way. No two people perceive things in the same manner. And so once you start learning about the science of how that works, that leads you into a very different tract. And while in school, I, uh, so in optometry school nowadays, what people do is they're very, uh, they emphasize a lot ocular health. So you'll hear in class, glaucoma, diabetes, high blood pressure, you'll hear all this stuff. And school is trying to gear you towards going that route, towards becoming like an ocular disease specialist. And I, once I started seeing patients in clinic that had cataracts, I said, no, that's not for me. You know, there, There's no vision science in that world. And so I instead did a residency after I graduated in what's called vision therapy and rehabilitation. And at that residency, I saw just how you can really take that vision research, how you can take that vision science and directly apply it into clinical practice to help so many people who have issues that they never really associate it to how they use their vision. Again, combining vision, meaning the brain, the eyes, the whole body to experience the world.
2: There's way more than just... Being nearsighted or being farsighted, you know, be, needing glasses to see something close up or needing glasses to see something far away, or you know, stigmatism, stigmatism, those common things we hear.
3: For sure, for sure, and you know that is the first step, though. That's the you have to know that because uh, let's say you have a little kid who has let's say six units of being farsighted. Well, they're going to need glasses for sure because they can't do anything see clearly. They can't judge where things are at. They can't do track along a page. They can't do anything until you get their eyesight clear. So that is a very fundamental basis, but that's just the uh, the start of the story, so to say.
2: So then, so you became very interested in the science of vision and more of, I guess, what would you, you know, what would you call the issues that are not like anatomical or things like glaucoma more about the way All the brain is perceiving what the eyes are taking in or processing what it's taking in.
3: It's hard to say, you know in our world, we, we always kind of get mixed up with labels. You know, we'll talk about developmental optometry, we'll talk about neuro optometry, we'll talk about behavioral optometry. But really, all those different types of optometry, we all deal with the same thing, where it's a, a problem of how the brain uses the eyes to explore the world, so to say. Mm-hmm. As a kind of a side note, a, a comment that I love to, to say is that vision, the purpose of vision is to guide and direct action what the eyes do is they take light. They turn light into meaningful action. You know, you're able to take all the light coming into your eyes and then judge where a baseball is at, judge a person from 50 yards away, read Cyrillic. You know, you're able to do all of that because your eyeball is able to process little photons of light. Mm -hmm. So uh, any, any type of action that the brain and the eyes do together, well, anything can create a problem that can then affect somebody's ability to read and learn, ability to perform at work, ability to drive safely, uh, to play sports, to feel comfortable in their environment.
1: How then would you define functional vision?
3: Yeah, so functional vision, so anything that vision does that has a function. So as a side note, there's an organization called COVD, which is the College of Optometrists and Vision Development. Although they're actually undergoing a different name change, but for purposes of this, we'll call them COVD still, they created a list of 17 different visual skills that are necessary for efficient reading and learning or that are necessary for a child to have in order to do well in school. And of those 17 different skills, they kind of outline what you have to do. So for example, you have to hold your eyes straight when you're looking far away, you have to have good eye movement control, you have to have good focusing ability, you have to have good visual perceptual skills, you have to have good Uh, ability to have depth perception, good peripheral awareness, you have to have a lot of different things. And so all of those 17 different visual skills sort of create, quote unquote, visual function. But a more simplistic way of describing that, I I generally break it down into two categories. You have, well, and again, we're talking about functional vision, not about necessarily being nearsighted, farsighted, having cataracts or anything Mm -hmm. like that. So I kind of break it down into two major categories. I I talk about eye movement issues, and then I talk about visual thinking skills. And when you talk about the eye movement issues, there are three major categories. You have your eye teaming, which is how do both eyes point at the same place? How do the eyes align? How do they look up close, which is called convergence? Or how do they look far away, which is called divergence? So you have your eye teaming skills. You have your eye focusing skills, which is how do you look at something clearly up close held within arm's reach? Like if you hold a book in front of you, how do you zoom in, look at that clearly and focus on it? And then after you look up close, how do you relax your focus to look far away? It's also that transition. So that's your eye focusing skills and then you have your eye tracking skills, which are the easiest thing to think about is when you're reading, how do you read every word on a page? How do you go from cat ran down the street to the next line and then read along like that. And then also your eye, the other major eye-tracking skill is uh, what we call a pursuit, the ability to follow a moving target. So as you're watching a car outside my window, I can see the interstate, so I can watch all the cars drive along down the road. As I follow and track along a moving target, that's what we call a pursuit. So those are the three major eye movement categories, how I break it down. Your eye-teaming, your eye-focusing, and your eye-tracking. And then you have your visual thinking skills, which are, for example, visual memory. Can you remember what you saw? Visual sequential memory. Do you remember the order in which you saw things? Do you remember the whole list? Um, If somebody purposefully miswrote the word, if they purposely misspelled it, can you remember the sequence of letters that they wrote, for example? You've got your uh, visual discrimination. Can you identify uh, that the letter is B and that the letter is not cue. You've got your figure ground. All of life is figure ground. If you're familiar with that psychological concept where you're judging something from its background, you have have a thing that you're looking at, you're identifying that from a busy background, or you're trying to identify the background, given a whole bunch of targets. Figure ground is that classic, can you see the forest for the trees? Or can you see the tree for the forest? Or can you find Waldo, right? Where's Waldo? Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) as i was actually going to say practically it's the waldo books that i have in my waiting room right Um, or you know it's like word searches the old classic uh game from the 90s when you before you had your game boys and your cell phones you did word searches Uh in the car so so those are the major ways that i break down uh functional vision skills into eye movements and visual thinking
2: okay so so dr chalette if a for example you know a Let's say a child is struggling in school in their early years, maybe kindergarten or first grade, and one of the very first things we hear parents say they do is they want to run to the eye doctor, their regular optometrist, and make sure it's not a vision issue or their child, you know, or the teacher may indicate, you know, they need, they need to sit up close to the board or maybe you should have their vision looked at. So they go to their regular optometrist and that optometrist evaluates the student and maybe says, Oh yeah, they, they see, well, they can see 2020 or 2030. So what is the difference? So that optometrist or a quote unquote regular optometrist, are they looking at all of those different functional visual, visual skills that you just talked about?
3: That's a hard thing to answer. Um, The short answer is, uh, I'll kind of give you a side comment. So in my office, my evaluations are all 60 minutes in length. And the reason for that is to really comprehensively look at all of those different skills. In many offices here down in the Houston area, a lot of your regular optometry examinations last 8 to 15 minutes. So the short answer is, unless somebody very explicitly presents a problem, then rarely will that be looked at. Regular optometry has... So kind of another side note, whenever we deal with these things, we you almost have to have a model of how you approach your problems, right? So we in the world of developmental optometry, our model is that we have to evaluate the entire way that the person, whether a child or an adult, interacts with their world through vision, and we look at all the different visual skills to see how their vision does X, Y, Z. And the role of primary care optometry, the regular optometry, or even like a general ophthalmology practice, pediatric ophthalmology practice too, they operate off of a problem-oriented model, meaning that, like you said, the teacher said that they have to put the kid up at the front desk because they can't see, quote unquote. Well. To them, that says, okay, they have a distance quality of sight issue. Let's get the kids some quick glasses; they'll be back in working order. Or the nurse says they can't see; they see 20/40 on the vision screening in school. Which, another side note, here in Texas, vision screenings are really—they're not that good, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll go on the record in saying that they do very poor jobs of getting the vast majority of vision problems in children. They look at the low-hanging fruit, which is distance quality of sight, and they miss everything else about how a child can do poorly in school due to their vision. Mm -hmm. Uh, But so going back to the concept of the regular optometrist, they ensure that the eyes are healthy. They look at the distance quality of sight to see if the child needs distance glasses or contact lenses, and that's kind of the extent of what they do given their time constraints and given the restraints of insurance reimbursements. So very often you will encounter, uh, like I just had, actually, I just had yesterday, although he was an adult, I had a patient who said, well, you know, I went to two different optometrists. Why didn't they catch this? And he told me himself that he had to mention very explicitly a diagnosis that he wanted them to look for because he found out about it on on Google or was watching some TikTok videos or something that's, he was like, oh, that's me. So he had to very explicitly mention these specific symptoms and what he wanted tested before somebody kind of said, you know, you should go see Dr. Schlatt to get that checked out. Uh
1: We've even had kids come in that have been um, prescribed lenses because, and the parent will say, you know, the eye doctor didn't give us a specific... Near-sighted, far-sighted, they just could tell something wasn't right, and they thought yeah. maybe the like a, a low, you know, a low prescription for near or far-sighted might just help the issue. So those, that's always right. a big red flag for Let's us. Just like
2: try glasses.
1: When we yeah. have a, a young student who's already been to an optometrist, has already been given glasses, but they don't like to wear them because they don't feel like they help. Like, those are all, all things that we hear mm-hmm. that we're like, hmm, okay, well, maybe we just didn't look, you know, deep enough into the issue.
2: Sure. Or, or we'll hear a parent say, oh, well, my child passed the vision screening at school with the school nurse. Or I took them to their optometrist, and they were fine. The doctor said there was no problems, and the child doesn't need glasses.
3: Yeah, I, I hear that all the time. Uh, you will hear, you know, you'll hear the parents say, "Oh, they have perfect vision; they see 20 mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, that's not the end of the story. I have a colleague who made something called a vision report card that she shared one time on on her website, and it was something that she wanted parents to download that had hey, did your optometrist check this, 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 and this? And if so, then you can say that you did get a more comprehensive uh, checkup, but that didn't necessarily take too, uh, take too kindly whenever people tried to start doing that, right? But it's really hard because uh, so, so many people, because on the, on the weekends, I work in several corporate offices. And going back to that, what you mentioned earlier about the dyslexia, Oh man, I can't tell you how many parents will say, Yeah, my kid has dyslexia. And immediately I turn around and say, Oh, well, what kind? And then you hear crickets because they only know that their child can't read. And they never necessarily knew, you know, it's not their fault, right? You don't know what you don't know. But nobody ever told them that a reading issue could have something to do with vision beyond just. How do you see for far? Mm-hmm. And you know, it's also interesting, you know, if you kind of think about it practically, what do you do when you're reading? When you read anything, you hold something up close, so your two eyes have to point inwards, you have to converge to look at it, and then you have to move your eyes a whole lot whenever you're doing something up close. And that, you know, people will have children with reading issues, and yet, when you're being tested at a vision screening or a regular optometry office, your eyes are straight, looking far away, not moving. Mm -hmm. If you have a chart, somewhere in my office, I have the the actual stone chart, the actual plastic thing that you hold 20 feet away. And I'll often do a demonstration where I'll have people look at that, and I'll ask them to read the 2020 line. And I'll say after they've done it, I'll ask them to do it again. And I'll ask them, think about how much your eyes move while doing this. And then They'll say, "Um, eh, not really, I didn't notice too much, okay, you know, whatever. And then you have them hold something at their habitual reading distance, which often is about this far away whenever they hold their cell phone. And you ask them to read the same thing, and then you say the same question of, how much did you think your eyes moved, or were you aware of how much your eyes moved? And they'll notice, yeah, actually, my eyes moved a lot more. And that simple demonstration shows, you know, uh, quite a bit of difference between what we do in our functional vision world versus what a regular optometrist might, or what a vision screening at school might be looking for. Mm-hmm. When you can use both eyes together and actually move them around on a page or on a phone or on a computer screen, now that all the children have Chromebooks in school, mm-hmm. you'll notice so many more problems than just having a static eyeball, not moving, reading a small letter a certain distance away.
1: Well, I think too, we see a lot of kids that come in that struggle with copying, whether it's copying from like their math worksheet to their paper or from the board to their paper. So like you were talking about earlier, the the difference of going close up to far away to close up to far away, that's where their real struggles come in. Maybe once they're in one place, they're okay, but it's the back and forth where things sort of fall apart and where they copy things down incorrectly or they um aren't able to get everything copied before the class moves on. And so mm-hmm. that oftentimes and I feel like now with, with Chromebooks and with more kids on on devices, we're doing less copying. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Because when I ask parents a lot of times, well, do Me they too. struggle with copying? They're like, well, I don't know that they do very much copying. So it's interesting we're we're taking away some of those red flags
2: mm-hmm. um that
1: help us determine that this might be something more than just a reading or a writing or even just a near or far-sighted issue.
3: Mm-hmm. It's really tough. Um, when we talk, going back to kind of a little bit of the vision science, when we talk about vision, again, the purpose of vision is to guide and direct action. But when we do vision, because vision is something that we do, it's not just something that we have. When we do it, the first thing that we do is we locate where something is before we identify what it is. And going to that concept of copying, when a child looks up close, they're because they're able, well, back in the day when they actually did pencil and paper, they were able to touch physically the pencil, the, the desk, the paper. So they had that ability to localize through where their body is. Hey, the target's right this far away. And then when they transition their gaze far away, they often would get lost not knowing where to look, So of course they can't identify anything when they look far away because they can't even find where to point their gaze at. Are they pointing their gaze four feet away from them? Are they pointing their gaze 12 feet away from them? Are they looking too far to the right of where they need to? Are they looking too far to the left of where they need to? So they get lost in space and then they copy down the wrong thing or they might not just copy down the wrong thing but they'll also comment how when they look away it's blurry That's because they just haven't changed where their gaze is. They haven't relaxed their gaze to look at that distance, that specific set distance. Mm -hmm. I have a patient in my office currently where that was the complaint that they came in with. Uh, It's a teenager, just started or she was just moving into high school, and she had seen several uh, other doctors who couldn't figure out why her distance quality of sight was blurry even though she had no prescription whatsoever. And it was exactly that issue. She gets locked in tight. It's almost like whenever you look up close for too long, it's almost like your muscles inside the eye cramp up. And if you make a fist and you squeeze your hands really tight and you feel how hard that fist is, and if you do that for 10, 20, 30 seconds and then you try to relax it, your hands still feel tight. They still feel tense. Well, that same analogy happens with the muscles on the inside of the eye. If you don't use your eyes efficiently, if you don't know how to accurately transition your gaze, your eye muscles get real tight. They get real cramped up and then they don't know how to relax that. So the quality of sight's is blurry because you're still all tight up inside.
1: Mm-hmm. I think the other really kind of cool thing that I like to share with parents too is that this is something that can be fixed. I hate to use the word fixed because, you know, nobody's broken, but It can be remediated or it can be, you know, through therapy, it can be corrected. And I think that is what's so awesome Mm -hmm. because so much of what we see necessarily can't be corrected. So this is something that's kind of, you know, in the grand scheme of things, kind of an easy fix because you have strategies and systems in place and therapy that can help sort of remediate these issues and help the vision become stronger in the areas where it's weak, correct?
3: Oh, absolutely. It's super cool. Like, it really is cool stuff. Um, I think a, a different way of seeing it rather than fix is that we say we teach children how to do it. They can learn how. Because the analogy, the, the perfect analogy is like riding a bike. You know, you start off as a little kid. You just don't know how to get the movements set up. You don't know how to coordinate your legs. You don't know how to sit on the bike and balance yourself. But once you learn how to do it, then you can do it. And the same thing applies to the visual system because problems are problems can kind of come from three areas they can come from being a developmental issue where you just never learned how you didn't for whatever reason through nobody's fault you didn't get the experience you didn't have the right uh, things that you did as a little person to teach you those skill sets or problems can come from just the wear and tear of visual stress. If you hold your phone two inches away from your face for eight hours every single day over the summer, rather than running around outside playing with Legos, throwing basketballs around, you know, that wear and tear, that intense demand, that can create problems. Or let's say, heaven forbid, you have a concussion or a head injury, you trip and fall and get a big old welt on your noggin. All of those different areas are how problems can occur. But regardless, you can teach a child how, or an adult too, don't you know? Don't forget them. You can teach somebody how to overcome these issues, just like how you can teach them to ride a bike or hit a basketball or learn to speak a foreign language. We have the tools to do so. The brain is a very plastic, it's, it's like Play-Doh, right? You can change it all throughout your life, and you're just reinforcing all the networks that are upstairs inside the brain to do things in a more efficient way more effortless more accurate manner. Yeah. It's a very very cool and stuff. And
1: once you teach them those skills, as long as they continue to use them, they should never lose them,
3: correct? Assuming that they don't have any other issues later on like get into a car wreck or you know something crazy. Is right. uh, in that resets the resets the stage. Right. But it's we live in a visual world. We live in an environment where once we have a skill, we use that skill throughout life. So take the example of, let's say you have a middle school person who can't read very well. They, uh, Oh, and another thing that I wanted to mention too is a lot of these findings, they mimic behavior pattern problems. So it's not just that you might have dyslexia or whatever. A lot of these findings mimic ADHD, ADD, X, Y, Z. I just had a parent call me yesterday who said that their child just began in ninth grade has been suspicious for dyslexia has been suspicious for ADHD and they had an evaluation at another office yesterday where come to find out the child's got a massive convergence insufficiency and has a massive issue with tracking along a page we have these devices where we're able to record the reading eye movements to show somebody how do things move when they're trying to read hmm. and so the the child the mom reported that the child was super relieved to oh, know man it's not a problem with you know, my intelligence or anything like that. It's just, I can't do this accurately. And come of find out the child also plays sports. So whenever we get them into therapy, what we'll do is we'll improve their their eye movements, their convergence abilities, their ability to see in 3D with depth. We'll improve their focusing ability, their tracking issues. And then we fix that because that's a problem. But then the child's going to go back out. He's going to play football. He's going to have better death reception. He's going to judge where to throw the ball better or where to catch the ball better. He's going to use that skill that he learned in a new area in his life and it will enhance everything that he does. So he's not going to forget how to do this because he's going to use these skills to be more productive in the other environments in his life. He'll be able to read easier, more comfortably, and actually want to learn to read more and read harder and harder books once his eyes aren't going all over the page seeing where it's jumbled around. Because given the skill set, that then allows them to do things that they couldn't do, which then expands on their skills even further and further.
1: you guys enjoyed our conversation with Dr. Shalette. Be sure to come back for the next episode where we finish that conversation and talk a little bit more about functional vision. Thanks so much for joining us today. Have a great day and let's talk learning disabilities.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. In our show notes, you can find information about today's talk as well as links to resources and other episodes. If you have questions about today's talk, have ideas for future episodes, or just want to stay connected, you can contact us through Diagnostic Learning Services on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. So, let's keep talking learning disabilities. This podcast is sponsored by eDiagnostic Learning. You can find more information at www.ediagnosticlearning.com.